0: And now the Wrathband Tapes.
1: Episode 8. Guilty.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to the Wrathband Tapes. My name's Tony Horn, ghostwriter to the late PC David Rathband in Lancashire, England. In South Australia. David's twin, Darren. We're reviewing the entire story, including many bits you've never heard, and we're doing so aided by audio that I recorded as I made notes to pen David's memoir Tango 190. We'll start there today. Thursday, the 10th of March, 2011. On the charge of murdering Chris Brown, how do you find the defendant, asked the clerk. Not guilty, replied the foreman to gasps in the courtroom. On the charge of attempted murder of David Rathband, how do you find the defendant? Not guilty. Ness was punching the air, beaming from ear to ear. Conspiracy to murder, not guilty. It was getting louder and louder. The chip shop robbery in Seton-Delaville? Not guilty. A WAN was now filling his boots, his pants a distant memory. Possession of a firearm? Not guilty. The verdict had come at speed, getting faster and faster like those trains in the timeline that Sally Brown and Kath had described. Back on day one, coming to an inevitable crash. On the fifth count, I even interrupted the foreman. So hypnotized was I by the monotonous rhythm banging the drum of deceit. And then we went through the whole lot again for a wan. The result was the same every time. That, thankfully, Darren, didn't happen. But it was the fear that David would take to bed with him as we were closing in on the verdict. For so much of the trial, so calm, and so confident and composed, but any human being is going to have sleepless nights as we approach the verdict. And of course, some of that meant visitations from Moat himself.
1: I had um, had a visit from uh, Mr Moat. Um, which hasn't happened for a few days or well, a few weeks actually it's the first time since the trial started he's, he's come like to visit me and i did i was awake at four o'clock and it was it was quite funny because i said like yesterday when i was in court i was i was actually seeing a blue sky with clouds in and, and it's dead hard to explain but because i can see images there aren't real images, if you know what I mean. They're pictures in my mind. And when I was in court yesterday, when the judge was summing up, all I could see was a blue sky with... there were One, two, three... There were four white puffy clouds. And it was lovely, because obviously I thought that I'll never ever see a blue sky. And here I was, sitting in court, and I could see the, the loveliest blue summer sky with four clouds.
0: You can imagine, can't you, if it's the night before... The verdict, Darren. How many times the same scene and that scene not going your way would would come to you?
2: Oh yeah, that would have been that would have been torture for David. And and along with that, Tony, he'd be revisiting thirty seconds before he got his face blown off by that coward. So he's going to be living all of that. And this is where you look at the victim the police officer, and a witness, David, like every other body or every other person that goes to court, to, to actually go into a court building and give evidence, uh, it, it, it certainly isn't an easy place to be. Uh, and I've done it as well. I, I've given evidence for something that I was subjected to here in Australia. And it, it's a horrible place to be. One, the fact that you're put on back into that position. You've got the stress of that. And, and the belief that nobody believes you when you know it's true. Because anybody, well, I would certainly suggest if you go into court, swear the oath, you, you, you're going to tell the truth. And as a victim, and I know that's not always the case, but predominantly you go in, you give your evidence and, and hope that uh, either the judge or the jury believe you. And that's not always the case.
0: And the consequence for a not guilty verdict after everything that we've been through really revolves around this.
1: I mean, you imagine in 15 years time, you know, cat walking face to face with him.
0: And that is a phrase that we used in one of the earlier episodes. They'll come again. It was six minutes to three on Friday, the 11th of March, 2011. I'll read again from the book. They didn't call it over the tannoy. Instead, Detective Chief Superintendent Jim Napier came for us personally and ushered us into the courtroom. We could barely take another moment in our little room, so suffocating and oppressive had it become. There wasn't any of the nervous laughter of yesterday. We knew this was it. And one thing that tension does is it can provoke extreme reactions. So you can have that scenario as I outlined a few minutes ago, where David imagines that they're all not guilty. But then you can go rational again.
1: It's just seven months I've had to build this portfolio of lies ready to answer any question.
0: And that's him slightly more upbeat and slightly more confident. But as, as you sit there waiting, you know, David said to me, it would have been naive to think that there would not be another dramatic twist or a surreal turn to the events. It's a case where the s- surreal is very high on the list of dramatic elements. And um, we are in an underworld here, small-town crooks in Newcastle who've committed a big atrocity.
2: I think if you look at everything else, the only thing that went quite well, or extremely well, was the court case. Everything else was just... just It should have been played under the big top.
0: I, f- I believe that's fair, and I believe that we have been fair to outline errors oversights and point out where Northumbria police in particular have been excellent in some of the narrative around this case there are some people connected with it that still bang the drum that it was a faultless operation I don't think that's rational thinking David said to me he was almost desperate on the morning. He told Kath, I can't go today. He was white like a ghost, sick with worry, shattered, with no more than half an hour's sleep inside him. And that tension and angst would test even somebody who, as Daryl reminds us, has played that role of the policeman, the witness and the victim, so perfectly in court Darren this is what David was mooting with Chris Clark his family liaison officer
1: please don't hold me responsible when they're convicted I will shout up and shout something like enjoy you bastards and then he said, David, you can't. He says, you've come across as being really professional, dignified. He says, it'll get reported and people's estimation will go down on you. Said, I did, I said to him, You're exactly right.
0: But it's sometimes worth having a little rehearsal, talking that moment through before you sort of rein yourself back in to be that dignified policeman. But who wouldn't... Who wouldn't deny him those words?
2: Uh, do you know... Uh, and I think... What would have stopped him doing it was his um, thought about letting other people down. Because if it wasn't the fact that Chris Clark had mentioned professional, I don't think David, and this is what I would think, so I'm hoping I'm not far off what David would think. If it was just down to David, he would have stood up and shouted it. But he would have took the, the prospect of making other people regret that he said more importantly. And you're right, who, who would have held that against him?
0: I did mention in a previous episode, chicken wraps and badger's hats, that some of the seating in the courtroom was unhelpful. David did, I understand, get not too far away from Carl Ness at one point. And this was, in fact, that moment, really, that we just talking about this is what he said
1: as it walked past me i managed to mutter enjoy it ness
0: <laughs> and you may recall that um, you know david referred to a wan as a silly little boy who got caught up in in something i did ask david if because of that he had any sympathy at all for a wan
1: well he ...wanted to be a big boy, and uh, Ness was already Moat's big hench right arm man. And one wanted to be um, held in such regard, and they've just basically done what they wanted to do, because they wanted to be p- part of Raoul Moat's sick, twisted
0: plan. Summoning up all strength and awaiting that verdict. These are seconds that hang in the air and do last an eternity. We've all seen those talent shows, you know, where they announce people are going through the next round and it's like 30 seconds before they say the person's name and you get caught up in the drama of that moment. This isn't drama, this is real life. And those moments are accentuated. They last an eternity. But justice had to be served
1: quite surreal the fact that when they talk about him well when they talk everything's based around ralmo and you've got carl ness saying you know that's to say to ness who who said to go and get the shopping and uh ralmo did who had the gun ralmo did who said this ralmo did and it's only because he can't speak for himself because he was a coward it would have been nice to to see all three of them there and the nicest thing for me now like today, is them both knowing I'm not dead. And it's like me coming back to haunt them. But I'm not the hunted anymore. They're, they're, they are rabbits in headlights, and they're, hunt- they're the hunted ones. I was hunted on that night. Um, and they've been hunted for the last seven months, and it's now time for
0: them to pay. Yeah, and David says that, let's just remember, not just for himself, but also uh, for Sally Brown, Chris Brown's family
1: what happened to me, it was a trial about what happened to Chris Brown and you know, he's he's the one that unfortunately lost his life to whatever I say but it, you know, you've got to remember it's, it's Chris Brown's family's day in court not mine, I'm just a police officer
0: and there he is back to his rational, brilliant serving self, underneath all of this though still that feeling that one person was missing from the trial.
2: I touched on it with you before Tony about the fact that he'd taken that justice away from himself by shooting himself in the head and I think if I, well I know what David said, David was glad that he, he was gone and I think if you put it in into perspective when David said that and you put into the also into that frame that the thoughts that David had about getting found not guilty I would believe David was quite happy that uh, Moat wasn't there what I would like to add as well is that David actually did think that the sentences that they both got were substantial and possibly worthy of an appeal. Now, I'm not sure if that's ever, obviously, if it's ever going to happen because they've got a certain time and a basis for appeal. But David was really yeah, quite taken by the length of terms of sentence that they were both given.
0: Yeah, they weren't sentenced immediately the verdict came in either. Um, they had to reconvene the following tuesday so there's a long weekend to think about this this is the friday that they are of course found guilty kath and david pretty much sunk to their knees when it came in a massive tick for restoration of faith in humanity there was no low baller there were no rogue elements if you like in a in a jury david described a five second pause that we were talking about as lasting 10 minutes when the foreman addressed the room he put his eyes down his head down so the press wouldn't see on the first guilty he said did i just hear that And on it went. Guilty, the foreman continued. It was a domino effect. He sat bolt upright. Ness and Awan sank to their knees, holding their heads in their hands. Get in, he said to himself. He said he could no longer feel his heart. There was a huge release in the air. Time stood still. Kath was sobbing into his chest. He looked down at the floor again. There were cries of yes all around. Some of Ness's friends were in tears. David said, My body went from lead to jelly. I could feel months of tension evaporating in a split second. Justice had been done and it had been unanimous. The only exception was that a WAN was cleared of a firearms offence. David said, He felt so liked. When I spoke to him that evening, and you'll smile at this. I hope everyone smiles. So I would record, and sometimes I would record as I ring the number. This is how we picked up the phone.
1: Hello, Doron Tang- Souls Canal.
0: Tango 190. <laughs> <laughs> hey!
1: A result, isn't it?
0: But there is still a bit more that's surreal. In a case that has featured a TV survival expert... And a former footballer, Darren. There was still place for girls allowed on the day that the verdict came in. Are you in knowledge of this? Do you have awareness of what I'm about to say?
2: The only the only thing I know about Girls Allowed, and I might even have the the wrong pop group, is that when David went to Pride of Britain, he was sat talking to. I think one of them, Cheryl, Cheryl,
0: who's from Newcastle, yeah, yeah. Andrew Tweedy, the brother of Cheryl Cole was being sent down in an adjacent courtroom for six years <laughs> for his part in an armed robbery of a post office in Longbenton near Newcastle. Darren's laughter there is not that obviously to mock the seriousness of the offence. It's just once again, we return to you couldn't make it up. And David joked. He could see how this would end. He'd be on the steps of the law courts later with girls allowed giving statements. Nothing would surprise him anymore.
2: It's bizarre, isn't it? Oh, it's just totally bizarre. It's mad. Yeah. It, it, honestly, if if the North could play back play back this event, because ninety-nine point five percent of the people from North East are hardworking. Decent folk, and they they must have seen this as, as just keystone cops from start to finish. It's just mad, mad.
0: Some of the individual moments are embarrassing. The accumulation of the moments when we look at them together are crazy. But let's not lose sight of the fact, if you want to sum up what this moment feels like when the verdict comes in, remember what Christmas Eve was like as a kid in the episode two twins one story growing up in staffordshire growing up working class background council estate simpler times we talked about getting bikes for christmas etc this really this is christmas eve
1: and you know where you race around the houses collecting all the presents that you've had retrieving them from the cupboards (laughs) i've just finished all that so all the presents are out you wait for the morning. It feels exactly
0: the same as that, really. Christmas Eve, he said it was, uh, on that day, back in March 2011. He did have to appear on the steps of the, the courthouse. The media interest was relentless. A huge symbolic moment for... Northumbria police. And I make that point because, for all the claims that the force let him down at various stages and indeed in time that we've yet to address, and Darren's quest to get confirmation from Sue Sim that there was a role for David in the force ahead, nobody should lose sight of this iconic moment of him standing on the courts because that says hero. And some sections of the police in this country have a slightly troubled difficult reputation but you should look up to your police force as being heroes, nobody should have to endure what what David went through but the value of him standing on the court steps with them being sentenced for a considerable period of time, is a very, very resounding image, isn't it? And whilst this story ultimately is about David and all the comedy and errors that we know, he placed Northumbria police there almost in slightly unreal shining light, perhaps on a pedestal, as he stands there in his uniform to face the world's media.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think, Tony, what... like. I'm obviously going to be critical of what I think should have been done differently, but I'm also realistic enough to say that Northumbria did do certain things as well as could be expected. What what you've what you've got to try and keep a check on is it's David's a police officer, so the public would assume that David would get treated better than anybody else who's not a police officer, and I can categorically tell you that that wouldn't have been the case as hopefully these podcasts will go to, into some detail to to prove david would have had to give good evidence if he hadn't have give good evidence they would have possibly been found not guilty acquitted and then on the back of that the public have got to understand that if you don't help your police force and i've been like we've already discussed i've been a police policeman for a long time no longer serving but they're, there, they, they're police by consent. And if the 90, 985 of public don't get behind your police force, it turns into anarchy. And they aren't all perfect. They are under pressure, underpaid, under-resourced, and they need the public's help to do their job properly. And that's what David did from start to finish.
0: And when we talk about the surreal and when we talk about... Those people that tried to attend Moat's funeral, one of them having travelled from Weybridge saying it was, you know, the best day out. There is one other element which nobody remembers, which emphasizes that sort of dregs of society element, and that is one day. David was going into court and a woman called Kelsey Donkin said something like that's the policeman and then imitated the noise of a gun going off shouted bang bang as David's walking into court why people have been brought up or choose to behave like that I don't know but for everything that we learned through this case there's still that shocking undercurrent within touching distance of of David which of course is the fear with a not guilty verdict that they will come again.
2: A fear of a blind man or a policeman who's now blind knowing that people can do that what a position to be in but obviously What you got to look at as well tony for that imbecile individual in court that's what keep the police in business that's what keep the court in business these people that are morally not in line with the rest of society their compasses are offset either through education social background but what i will say when i came to northeast and david would have had he had thousands and thousands of letters from all over the world when i came to the northeast A taxi driver refused to have my taxi fare and said, no, you're the brother of that uh, unfortunate policeman that's been shot. I'll I'll get this one. Refused point blank to take my money. There was a girl who I'm still friends with called Claire who brought me a bag of English chocolate all the way to the hotel because we can't get English chocolate in Australia that well. She came from her home with a bag of four or five quid's worth of chocolate Said hello, Here's your, I brought you some chocolate. People stopped me on the street, and I know people stopped David in the street. When he came here, Tony, some, we were, took him out for a Chinese, and somebody recognised him and wanted, said, and came up and said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I've got to say, you are such a lovely man. I'm, I'm thank, thank you for your service. So that for every bad, there's 20 decent, and that's what we've got to remember. We've got to focus on the good. It's got to win.
0: And David never lost sight of why he did the job in the first place.
2: I think there's a,
1: an entourage of people that have been involved and now now that the wheels fell off, they're not big enough or man enough to stand up and say what they've done. They're all just scuttling like little rats. They are the reason why I do the job. and That's why I enjoyed so much to lock them up. And not so much the fact that you take... I I took lots of murderers off the street, but I took lots of people like O'Wan and Ness off the street. Although Raul Moat cost me my eyesight, I cost him 150 quid just to get his car back.
0: (laughs) And that's the reference to the very first time they'd met when he was pulled over on a scrap metal charge, which I think was March 2009. When the verdict came in... Darren, where were you? Were you getting a, f- a live feed of it in Australia? No,
2: I think it, it was much of the same. Tony, um, the, the press coverage was pretty pretty low. Um, I, I probably found out a couple of probably two days after, two days after that they'd got convicted. And what you have got to remember is, I've come back and I'm I'm back into work. I'm actually a police prosecutor, so I'm in, in court uh, prosecuting uh, stuff in South Australia. So I'm back into it, and obviously David's going through the stress and turmoil of his his case.
0: We've talked about the prosecution team, QC Robert Smith in particular. Robert Smith gave David a big hug at the end and said, you will be with me for the rest of my life. Do you think that this is a case and a story where people however professionally brilliant they may be, have at repeated moments stepped outside their professional cloak and left a mark on them that ordinarily they would have been able to shake off, but just couldn't because it was so devastating, so public, so graphic. QC Robert Smith would have gone on probably in the next week, to lead a prosecution against somebody else.
2: They they choose a career, and it's like David, nurses, paramedics, doctors, they want to help other people. Uh, and there'll be certain people along that path you choose that do stick with you, for good reasons or for bad reasons. It might be the fact that the QC mentioned sh- filling your pants and a chicken wrap, because those things don't come up that often. And it might be the fact that David was just a police a traffic policeman, unarmed, and he was left blind from this cowardly act. You do take certain things with you, Tony, and that's what makes the people that do these difficult jobs human. Otherwise, they'd be robotic. That's why they mess up. That's why they make mistakes. And we have to be conscious of that and careful not to critique or criticise these professionals that make decisions under stressful situations.
0: So David stood on the steps of the courtroom and I know that obviously some relationships with certain elements of the media were quite well formed. I think everybody was waiting to speak to him individually after he had addressed the group but I know that we talk about the exhaustion, the fatigue, I know that as the moment came David was getting less and less willing to do that. I think he wanted to just give one speech. I can't find the exact quote, but I think he said, I have a lifetime ahead of me. They have a lifetime to reflect, which I think is pretty good. Obviously, those words echo knowing what we know now. And the length of that lifetime ahead make those words quite sad and poignant. But in the moment, I think that was the right thing. And they are still having their time to reflect and they still have any more time to do so.
2: Yeah, I think it would have been nice if you could have said, I've got a life in front of me and they've got a life behind bars.
0: You talked about the the stress and the toll that this took on David, it's something that I can measure over a decade later, but at the time, you know, you can only be in the moment and go forward. I think that since David was shot, we all looked at ways for him to keep going and the trial clearly was a massive part of that. It is, whilst it brought fear towards the end, it was a massive reason to get up in the morning and continue continue with life. But I think, as we always say, there are opinions that we had at the time and there are opinions that we have now. And I did feel that the trial kept him going. But you, looking from afar, and possibly based on conversations that you had... In the autumn of his life, when he is in Australia, you have always said that it took its
2: toll on him. Yeah, I, I, I think knowing David, and I think anybody that would sort of understand where he was, he was he would have been adamant to see that part of that story closed, be it guilty acquitted or whatever the verdict. David was always going to see that concluded. And I think if we look back, hindsight's a brilliant thing to have, isn't it? If we look at these events than everything, like you were saying, trains colliding at the start of it. At the end of it, there was different trains on different tracks, and they all collided. So, unfortunately, that's a tapestry of life, isn't it, Tony?
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes when you've got to get up day after day in an exhausting period of your life, you only realise when it's over how exhausting it was. And that does pose... A question which is possibly a marker to the troubles ahead but when the trial ends that has been a massive part of his recent life that we then come back to that issue of how do we feel David's life I know that after the trial Neil Adamson wanted to take david through all the the full video of the arrest he was also supposed to be sitting down with northumbria police where he said to me they're going to tell me all the crap that they couldn't tell me before he's still learning stuff even at the the point of the the verdict sue Sim wasn't there as the verdicts came in but I know that she rang absolutely thrilled and had been regularly updated in those closing moments but there's a void though isn't there when the dust settles and you're back to those four walls and you've got to work out what you're what your future is going to be now that that effort of the trial is, is concluded.
2: Yeah, come, come night time, Tony, you, you're inside your own home, you haven't got your family liaison officer in a spare bedroom planning your day for tomorrow. And remember, family liaisons officers, be it David's or anybody else's, they're police officers. So they're only going to tell you, even David, I would, I would suggest... Chris Clark and Alison Brown kept certain things away from David because that's what their job is. They are a conduit between the investigating force and a victim. They don't sit down and tell you everything. And after the euphoria of that trial concluding, the reality of David's life, although it would have hit him well before then, comes back and tells him, hold on a minute, I'm now blind. What am I going to do? How are my family going to deal with where we're at now uh, on the back of what support people don't people don't people don't sit and tell you that we're going to be with you every day of the week and we'll do this for you we already know that a lot of that didn't happen for david and david would have been the first person to say how many visitors he he got to his house after he was shot was probably a handful so yeah the stark reality he's still blind and he's got a life to work out.
0: And we'll come to this, I think, next time, the 15 minutes of fame, because this is mid-March 2011, and the very next thing where people will see David at is the London Marathon, which is traditionally pre-pandemic April. And obviously, anybody that's done a half marathon or a marathon, that takes up a a colossal amount of mental and physical energy. But the truth is that with the trial, the verdict coming in March 2011, Darren, within 12 months, David's not here anymore. I know you and I always worried that that day was going to come but in the 48 72 hours after the verdict came in did did you did you speak to david did you have those immediate concerns that we're now in the rest of the life period
2: no no not at that stage although it was a thought process that i like you you've just touched on that you had i had and I'm sure other people did, at that particular time, there was enough in his life to give him hope going forward. And I think as we go on with these podcasts, if we do get a chance to discuss the, the domino effect of things later on, then gave David uh, the the will to end his life and not to go forward with where he was anymore. And I think that's what had the ultimate effect on david and why he took his life
0: which is quite interesting because we spoke right at the beginning that we knew that day would come is there a sense now as we sort of encapsulate that moment at the end of the trial and we talk about you know the rest of the life it let's just ask this honestly could it could david's death have been avoided well, could there have always have been enough in his life to enrich his life? Or were we just delaying an inevitable?
2: This may be considered not in my... I'm not in a position to say this, but I think if his marriage would have survived, he would have still been here. I think that was his biggest, biggest thing, Tony. And,
0: of course incredible extra value placed on that as time goes on and people that come into his life at speed also depart it you mentioned earlier that David believed that there might be an appeal I mean one thing I've never given thought to is gosh if there ever had to be like a retrial or I don't even know how people prepare themselves for the exhaustion restarting a game when they think it's all over. But thankfully, you know, that 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 never happened.
2: Tony, just put yourself in a position where David was or any victim of a, a murder has to go and listen to the details of how their loved ones has been killed. They have to sit. They don't have to. But for that part of closure, and I'm sure the ability to process certain things, they have to listen to evidence in regards to how their loved ones came to their their end. How how can anybody be prepared for that? Yeah, once,
0: far from enough. And remember, of course, as we've highlighted, some knowledge before you enter that courtroom, but also plenty of new knowledge when you're sitting there uh, listening to all the events because you are your timeline is part of other timelines that exist i think it's worth because we're about to enter that phase of of life now where things change and the things that change are that the roots come away the 15 minutes of fame lasts 15 minutes And the structures that have been the consistence in David's life, i.e. Northumbria police, home life, start to disintegrate. So we face this new beginning. Everybody knows what a Monday morning's like. And whilst the trial, the verdicts came in on the, the Friday and they weren't sentenced until the following Tuesday, sooner or later it's Monday morning again and the noise, which has been a distraction in this case, the nonsense, is fading away. And a new cycle of life begins and addressing that has to be that issue of David and Northumbria Police. Could Northumbria Police have done anything in these moments which could have changed what was about to unfold? Was there a level of proactivity needed here, Darren, that perhaps we didn't see?
2: Yeah, I think you're right, Tony. I I think Northumbria Police will argue that they did what they had to do, what's in the policy booklet, and we did everything we can. But I am of the belief that they could have done, and I think the public think they could have done more as well. the fact that he'd had no counseling, yes, he may have said, "I don't want it, but he should have been made to have counseling it it It, it doesn't take much intellectual nounce to work out. If you've been shot twice and left blind, you're going to need some counseling and and just f l o family liaison officer, how about uh, like somebody there that can be there for you? at the end of the phone or can come round for a cup of coffee and sit down and and listen to your problems, listen to your concerns about the cane and your dental treatment rather than argue and fight for it. And I think that's what let David down. That's why David... I think that's one of the things that turned David as well, the fact that he felt like nobody cared out of the police service. And I think that's something that Northumbria Police and... The 41 other police forces across the UK need to look at, looking after their own. They're, they're not cannon fodder. They need to be looked after.
0: I think the way to conclude that is to realise that whilst you might be brilliant as a family liaison officer, as David was, you might be a superb journalist reporting this, a wonderful QC running rings round the accomplices everybody else leaves that moment except for those most affected by that moment. And it is a very good argument that whilst you as a family liaison officer regrettably will have to move on to other victims in the future, the argument is that you're needed for an eternity. You're needed for forever and a day. Um, we think that David was not offered proper counselling but also was reluctant to, that wasn't in his way to, to accept that. Do you think that the intensity of the trial and the build-up to the verdict, do, do you think he thought he was actually coping because it gave him whilst painful to relive it he was they were his last acts actually as a police officer if you think about it giving giving that evidence and when you're in the intensity of the trial you might well think that you are coping but a psychologist will say you're just compartmentalizing a trauma that you're not addressing
2: yeah i think that's right tony i think there is no, there can't be a disputed fact that David was suffering from post traumatic stress disorder, and he had no treatment, no help, no support. He had, and I think I've touched before, his welfare officer who collected him from the airport from Australia had no training in welfare. He was just assigned the name, the welfare officer. He he, um, he had no formal training. In regards to anything to do with PTSD or welfare, now that should never have happened. Yes, David might have said, "I'm tired." The the consequences were, David killed himself. And prior to that, there was every message on Facebook that he was having a severe breakdown, irrespective of marriage. He was he was having a a breakdown.
0: Let's just. End here on that moment where I rang him again and the verdict had come in.
1: Hello, Ten- canal. Tango 190. <laughs> <laughs> hey the result, is it?
0: Next time on the Wrathband tapes.
1: But my intention wasn't to be a a, a celebrity, as some people say. It was for a reason.
0: So, remember, everybody has a story. To find out more, please visit secretsofaghostwriter.com and to comment on this episode, head to the Secrets of a Ghostwriter Facebook page. With thanks to Rob Jones at Ultimate Content, this is a Horny Media and Publishing production.